The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What would you do if you were walking around your backyard with your teeny tiny puppy, and then all of a sudden, a UFO appeared? And then we take a look at the world of children. If you're listening to this, you were a child once. So full of life, so full of love, so full of fear of the dark. But what happens when your fears become reality? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. Summer has started, so once again, I'm recording an episode late at night, hoping to beat the heat, he says, as as I'm already stuck to this chair that I'm sitting in. I have a uh, metal folding chair. That's how I've been recording this podcast for the past five years, and a folding chair from Walmart, but someone who's more valuable than any plain old folding chair from walmart if anything they're a lazy boy recliner walking into dead rabbit command right now is our newest patreon supporter everyone give it up for juan gina spirit woohoo yeah wee yeah floating in like a ghost floating in like the ghost of a lazy boy chair Ooh, that's pretty cool don't try sitting in it you'll fall right through Wand Gina Spirit, you're going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand it. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know that you love the show, Dead Rabbit Radio. How did I never realize that right before? But if it rhymes, it's true. That's what they say. Wand Gina Spirit, let's go ahead and get this party started. I'm going to toss you the keys for a new vehicle. I just came up with this. Juan Gina Spirit, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the bunny biplane. Let's all hop on board. It's going to be the same sound effect as a jet. It's going to be a little bit slower. Let's all hop on board the bunny biplane, Juan Gina. Go ahead and spin that propeller. And fly us all the way out to Florida. We're flying around all the way out to Florida. It's June 13th, 1998. It's summertime. The world's grooving down to third eye blind. If you're cool, Matchbox 20. If you're lame. Hit television shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Deep Space Nine still fill the airwaves with laughter. We're like, oh, look at all those people who've been devoured by aliens and vampires on a crossover episode. What a good chuckle. 1998, what a year, what a year. But we're not here to reminisce over how amazing 1998 was. We're here to hang out with a woman named Mrs. Kinston. June 13th, 1998, in Miami, Florida. It's late at night. Well, not super late, but later than you may want to 
be handling chores. Oh, teeny, teeny, my puppy, Miss Keniston says as she's stroking its neck. What do you want now? Oh, you want to go outside, I can tell. I can tell because you're peeing all over the floor. Probably should have uh, let you outside a couple minutes ago, teeny. Let's head on outside. So Mrs. Kinston and her dog named Teeny go out into the backyard. Everything's fine. They're just having fun in the backyard. She's all rolling around in the grass with them. She's like, I should have been doing this my entire life. This is so fun. They're having fun. But then all of a sudden they hear a loud whistling sound and a gust of air rips through the area. Whoa. And that wasn't bad enough. That's actually not that bad, really, if you think about it. It's just called the wind. The, the whistling sound might be a little annoying, depending on how loud it is. But if that wasn't okay enough, all of a sudden... A UFO, a flying saucer, descends from the night sky. And is now hovering about 30 feet over... Mrs. Kinston's backyard. Teeny, do you see that, Teeny? That's one of them flying saucers, she probably said. We don't have any quotes. I'm assuming she said something like that. I'm assuming she sounded like Edith Bunker as well. Teeny, look. She doesn't say how big it is, but, you know, these things can be around 30 feet long, 30 feet in diameter. It's hovering over her yard. When suddenly, a reptilian alien materializes underneath the UFO. Like he got beamed down. And he's standing there on the cold Florida soil. Or grass, depending on how well maintained her backyard was. If you're an avid listener of Dead Rabbit Radio, I want you to pay attention to a couple of the details of this story. I want you to stop doing the dishes. Put down that gardening hoe. Because there's some interesting parallels to a story I covered really recently. I just came across these two stories completely randomly. This reptilian alien materializes like straight up sci-fi. I mean, I guess the UFO, it's a reptilian alien. Everything about him is sci-fi. You could have a fork and you're like, wow, is that a light speed fork? And he's like, nope, but it's made out of alien metals. You're like, wow. This alien reptilian appears in a, he's beamed down. He's materialized onto the ground and Teeny's like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. He takes off and he runs into the house. Now, that's the right thing to do if you encounter a reptilian alien. Gray aliens, depending on the story, they may be your friend. Or they may dissect you while you're still alive and then put you back together and wipe your memories. But reptilians are almost always a hostile force. Not all the time. There might be one or two stories we've covered where they're like shaking hands with people and not ripping their limbs off. But generally speaking, you probably should run away. You probably should run away from most, if not all, alien encounters. Teeny's smart enough to take off running into the house. Now, Mrs. Kingston, she's smart too. But the alien has other plans for her. She's terrified and right before she can begin to run... She said the reptilian's eyes lit up, ling, 
and she was frozen in place. Mrs. Kingston said that she felt like a cold chill all over her body, and she couldn't move. She was completely frozen in place, and she couldn't even scream. She's kind of stuck there. It would be kind of it would be kind of weird if you were able to freeze someone. You're like, you stay there, and then the person's just like, ah, <laughs> just like screaming the whole time. Ah, somebody help me! Ah. Aliens are like, we should probably perfect this technology to, I don't know, freeze their vocal cords as well. They keep alerting others to help them. She's completely frozen. She can't even scream. And at that point, the reptilian is kind of like, okay, first part of my job is done. Now it's on to phase two. And she notices that the reptilian is wearing a backpack. And he begins kind of looking around on the ground, and as far as she can tell, picking stuff up at random and putting it into his backpack. She's frozen this entire time. I'm assuming I'm assuming her bladder is frozen as well. She's not peeing constantly during this whole encounter. He's looking around, and he seems to be picking just normal stuff up. Rocks, probably a snail, right? He can't get away, freezes it, just in case. Picks it up, throws it in his suitcase, suitcase, throws another rock in there. He's like, I'm sure it'll survive. It had that shell on it. He's picking stuff up at random. As far as we can tell, right? I'm sure the alien had a purpose of what he was picking up. And he's putting it into his backpack. And then all of a sudden, Teeny comes running out of the house. Teeny, in a burst of courage, decides to take on this alien invader. Now, Teeny, we don't know the breed of the dog. I will make a guess. It's tiny. It's a tiny dog. I'm just going to guess. Its name is Teeny, unless it's one of those ironic names, like when you call a big guy Slim. But Teeny, I'm assuming, is a diminutive dog. He runs out of the house. He sees his mama frozen, and he's going to save the day. And he begins barking and running at full speed towards the reptilian, who, at this point, you know, his... His attention is on the rocks. His attention, he's looking down on the ground. He's picking stuff up. He's not expecting this tiny dog to come after him. Teeny is running straight towards this reptilian invader from another world. And the reptilian turns and looks at Teeny. And Teeny is running and barking and headed right towards this alien. And in a single motion, the reptilian grabs Teeny, picks him up, and swallows him whole. Gulp? There's no word on if Mrs. Kingston saw a little paws kicking its way down his throat. She's probably too terrified to remember that, or if she doesn't remember it, to want to mention it. He swallowed a teeny in a single gulp. Now, if you were terrified before, this would be off the scale, right? If you're already scared, alien shows up, freezes you in place, and then it's like picking up rocks, picking up popsicle sticks and stuff, garbage in your backyard. You're like, hey, thanks. I was supposed to do that tomorrow for my chores. Thank you. If you saw an alien, or really anything, or really anything on the planet Earth, swallow your dog in one gulp, your fear level is going to go through the roof. And that's exactly what happened. But Mrs. Kingston is frozen. She can't do anything. You'd wonder, am I next? Is he going to swallow me? (laughs) I'm bigger than a dog. Is it going to take three or four gulps? Am I next? Well, what happened was after the alien swallowed the 
dog swallowed Teeny whole. He then just kind of like looked around a bit and uh, walked back underneath his UFO and dematerialized. He got beamed back up into the ship and then the flying saucer flew off, disappearing into the night sky. I found this story on thinkaboutadocs.com. They got it from an author named Thiago Luis Tichetti. He is a UFO researcher. He's a UFO author. He writes a lot of books about this stuff. It was interesting. Think about it. Docs.com very rarely adds notes. They added a note to this story. They said, I wasn't able to locate such a witness. So I guess they tried. I guess they were going through the phone book looking up people in Florida named Mrs. Kingston. I would guess that she moved. I would guess that if you were ever in any place where a reptilian alien came down, scoured your backyard, froze you in place, and then ate your dog in a single gulp. And I keep kind of hammering that point home because that is spookier. That is spookier. If someone, if he ripped the dog in two and was like, oh, that's enough for my mouth. Now I must chew it. Um, 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 um. He's, he's holding the bloody hind quarter of a dog. He's spinning around and then he goes, oh, mm, seconds. <laughs> num, num, num. That's disgusting and probably a little over the top for all you dog lovers out there. But it would be less creepy, I would argue. I would argue that there's a difference between being ripped in half and chewed up. Because then, like, if if someone ate you, imagine you're Jason, are you going to get into that creepy board stuff? You're going to start talking about... Okay, so imagine if... You got eaten, but they were eating you like you would eat a steak, right? So they, like, start with your head. <laughs> That's how you normally eat a steak. You're like, where's the cow? Where's the cow? I need an appetizer. Arr! Take a bite out of his bull brains. If someone, like, picked me up and started chomping on me, um, 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 like, if they started biting at my sides, I'd be, like, shooting blood everywhere. I'd be making a big old mess. And if they bit my head off, then they chew my brain up and then I lose consciousness and I don't care what happens to me after that point because my brain's dead. But it's worse to get swallowed whole because then first off, it must be like super tight going down someone's esophagus. And in this case, it would clearly be the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk. There's nothing on earth that can eat me whole, but maybe a hippo. You'd be, like, going down this tight esophagus, and you'd probably be, like, trying to grab onto the sides. You're trying to grab onto the sides to prevent you from falling in. And then you're, like, stuck, you're stuck in his throat. He's, like, oh, he's all choking. You're all punching his windpipe. He's, like, ah. We are going down this tight esophagus, and then you know what's going to happen. I mean, Teeny doesn't understand biology, but you know that there's a bunch of stomach acid below you so as much as you're kind of stuck in this esophagus and you're trying to wiggle your way back up unless you have like a pocket knife and you can like cut handles into his esophagus you're cutting gills into him he's just slide out of his neck you're gonna fall in his stomach acid and you're gonna be like ah <laughs> burning ah and it would be horrific and you'd probably fall feet first so you're just standing in the stomach acid, and you're slowly melting, and then you could go, okay, this is going to take a while. 
while. <laughs> this is going to take a while. He eats some Tums, some giant Tums. He's like, oh, yes, I like to slow down my digestion when I eat a human. And you're just kind of standing in stomach acid. You would have to make a decision. You know, eventually that your legs are going to dissolve and then it's just going to be you're going to be standing on skeleton legs and then you're going to fall on your butt and then you'll be sitting in stomach acid and then like your waist. <laughs> Jason, do you think you become a cartoon character? If your legs dissolve, you've bled to death. Well, what if <laughs> you're just standing there, your lower half is a skeleton, you're like, ah, this is pretty painful. But my thing is, would you, if you were standing in a puddle of, or like a stomach of acid, would you, like you're just standing up in it and you can feel it dissolving? <laughs> this, this actually was not what I planned on talking about. I have a really interesting connection to a past story, but you're like, yeah, Jason, he told us to pay attention. Now I forgot what you what you were originally talking about. Now you're talking about being eaten by a, by a giant from a fairy tale. If you were standing in stomach acid, I'm not, I'm not done with this. If you're standing in stomach acid and it was slowly dissolving your legs, would you drown yourself in the acid just to get it over with? Would you be like, okay, this is going to take like hours? And the whole time is just flakes of skin are going to be like flying off of my legs. And I'm going to be like, ah, screaming. Would you say, you know what? I'm just going to lay down in the acid. I'm going to put my head in and let my head dissolve first. And just get it over with. Because there's no way out of here. You might be able to try crawling through his butthole. You may want to try that first, actually. I probably should have done that before I melted my eyeballs. You're like, okay. You stick your head in, your whole face melts. You're like, oh, that plan didn't work. Uh, my brain is still uh, functional. And I can't see where I'm going. Would you, if you were in a giant puddle of acid, would you kill yourself quicker by laying down in it? It's terrifying to be swallowed whole. But here's the interesting thing. Recently, like maybe like two weeks ago, it hasn't been that long at all. Yeah, it was episode 1073, The Hunting Party. This is so fascinating because I did not put these two stories together in any way, shape, or form. I found them at different times. We covered a story just a couple weeks ago, and it took place, if I remember correctly, it was 1968. A UFO containing reptilian aliens landed in... It was Colorado. I don't remember the exact name of the city. It was a it was a uranium mining town. The aliens probably saw it glowing from space. They're like, hey, let's go check that place out. This alien craft landed and a little girl woke up in the middle of the night. The rest of her family was knocked out like some sort of knockout drug or ray or whatever. She couldn't rouse the other people in the house. The dog was barking in that story. She looks at her window. She sees a flying saucer land with landing gear. And a stairway came out of it. And the reptilians walked down off the stairway. Which, in that episode, I go, isn't that interesting how you could have sci-fi technology, futuristic as far as we're concerned, technology. But then it still requires landing gears and a like a gangplank. You know, like a little ladder you see come out of an airplane. So that was an interesting detail. And I have not encountered this before with reptilians. I think we've we've encountered them with other alien races. But in that story, these reptilians got off the UFO. They were all wearing backpacks. Which, again, was a detail I noted in that. I was like, that's so weird. I, I haven't come across it before. These reptilians come off. They had backpacks. They also were carrying bows. 
which again is like one of the most primitive weapons that mankind. I mean, it's it served us well over the ten thousand years it's been around, but it's been around for that long. The bow. It's funny now that I say that. I wonder because they never used it in the story. I wonder if it was an actual like a bow like functions for us, or if it was some sort of other device that looked like a bow. We don't know, but. You have these reptilians get off this UFO. The dog was freaking out and they were looking around for something. And the reason why I called I called the episode the hunting party was because they were carrying these bows. But we don't know what they were here for. The little girl tried waking her mom up and then they both ended up falling asleep anyways. It's a really interesting episode, especially the way that story ends. But I when I came across this story, I was like, OK, there's some really interesting things about this. And I don't want to go on too long, <laughs> even though I go on at length about being digested by a giant. Think about it. We, these two stories are about 30 years apart. Like, timeline-wise, right? We have the stories reported in 1968, the stories reported in 1998. Two different stories, two different states. In 30... This is going to sound totally weird, but like everything else on the show, within 30-year time period, is it possible that these reptilians... This could be a particular offshoot of the reptilian civilization. They could be... Uh, considered mainstream reptilian civilization. We don't know, but it's so interesting to think within 30 years, they went from having flying saucers that needed landing gear and a staircase to pop out of it, like an airplane, like a commercial jet, to being able to materialize and dematerialize. The ship didn't even land in this story. It was hovering over the ground. The reptilian just appeared underneath it and started walking around. So it's fat. I mean, like, is is there a technological tree within our lifetime? You think about what's happened in technology between on Earth between 1968 and 1998. It's staggering, right? We started seeing from punch card computers to personal computers in your home, the beginnings of the Internet, all this stuff, CDs versus eight tracks. And it's within just a 30 year time span, we had these really big advancements even though they're mostly in the form of entertainment we we did have these things within that same time period war it's funny because in a lot of ufo reports from the 50s they do talk about landing gear they do talk about the ufo sitting on the ground with the little legs coming out of it and this more modern ufo report it, it never touches the ground the alien beams down all a star trek starts walking around so that's really interesting idea, right? Because I think we have this thought that the aliens, they're so much more advanced than us. Their advancements have stopped. They already have UFOs. What else do they need? They already have this ability to freeze people in place and to do all of these things. But is it possible that they're also continually advancing their tech as well? Because of these two so And the reason why we cover a lot of reptilian stories. We cover a lot of reptilian stories. And I'm not connecting. I normally don't make all these connections. The fact that they both have the backpack. Which again. I, I We've covered aliens wearing weird suits before. But reptilians with backpacks. Is such a unique detail. And I called it out in that first episode. And then last week I came across this one. And a totally different website. The first one was from Phantoms and Monsters. This one's thing about the docs. 30 years apart, two different witnesses, two different states. What in the world? 
that idea of a reptilian because they're more warlike they're considered a more warlike more brutal alien race and not saying you can't be brutal with a backpack but the backpack does kind of make you think an explorer a scientist but just the idea reptilians sometimes they'll wear an insignia very rarely right they're usually nude they're usually these giant nude reptilian creatures same thing with the gray aliens there's debate over if the gray aliens are nude or if that's some sort of spacesuit they're wearing but fascinating connection you have these two aliens reptilians they're both wearing the backpack they both have flying saucers but 30 years apart the flying saucer technology acts differently if the first story had the ufo floating there and a guy beaming down and the second story had the landing gears i you would go oh you know it's <laughs> maybe the second guy maybe the guy with landing gears needed to skimp a little bit on his ufo he didn't have a good credit rating but the fact that we have them 30 years apart and the futuristic one the more modern one i guess i should say has more futuristic technology just interesting really interesting way to look at the world of aliens, the world of paranormal, that constant advancement. Is it happening? Are they getting better tech? Who knows? Really, really uh, cool story. Juan, Gina, Spirit, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Florida. Fly us all the way out to a little boy's bedroom. <laughs> Recently, I did an episode about a shadow man who folded up a dude in a bed turning him into a human burrito he didn't eat him that was not a vor episode and in that same episode i talked about this thing called the empty spot it was a place in this kitchen this these people lived in this house and there is a place in the kitchen where when you walked by it you felt like a, almost like a pull on your stomach like you were going down a roller coaster and one day the dad dropped his phone over the empty spot and it disappeared. And it, had been, it went missing for like a year, maybe longer. And then it reappeared when they heard it hit the ground. It was a really interesting story, I thought. Uh, Mason, longtime Patreon supporter of the show, longtime just general supporter of the show, was talking about it on the Patreon Discord. And he goes, that was a really cool combination of like childhood fears, just kind of like wrapped up, kind of wrapped up like a delicious burrito, delicious human burrito. It's funny because I didn't think about that going in. I mean, maybe I don't have fears of turning into a burrito. That might be a Mason thing. He's like, ah, my two worst fears, losing my phone and being folded up in a mattress. But I thought that was interesting and it did make me think, I bet you that I can find some other childhood experiences. These are some weird ones and they vary on level of creepiness. We're going to start off by meeting this kid named Philip. Philip, he goes, when I was a little kid, I had this reoccurring dream where he goes, I had this dream over 10 times throughout my childhood. He goes, I was in my house and there was a gorilla in the house and this gorilla would begin chasing me through my own home. I guess, how does a gorilla sound again? Philip's running through the house. This gorilla's in hot pursuit. And the dream went in the same way every single time. In one of the back bedrooms, there was this large storage closet. And Philip would throw the door open and there would be a toilet 
in the storage closet. Now, in real life, there is no toilet there. It's just a storage closet. But in the dreams, every time you open that door, there was a toilet there. And right before this gorilla could wrap its beefy hands around this young boy's neck, Philip would jump into the toilet and go down the drain. Wee! I don't think you'd be saying wee. You're like, oh, okay, I know where this journey ends. Puddles full of poop. But Philip would wake up. That is the way he would get away from the gorilla. No matter what happened, if the gorilla was in hot pursuit, chasing him through the house, Philip had to get to that storage closet where there was this toilet. He would jump in and flush himself to safety. And like I said, he had this dream more than 10 times throughout his childhood. Also, that toilet never existed. Like, it was just, he's like, oh man, I really gotta go to the bathroom. Ah. He's like, oh, I know where I'll go, the storage closet. And he opens up the door, he's like, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot that was just the realm of the subliminal poop in his pants. Around the time Philip turned 18, his parents had decided to sell the house. And, you know, it's time to move on. The kid, Philip's probably going away somewhere. I'm going to sell the house. And he said, when they were getting ready to sell the house, they made a decision. <laughs> they released a gorilla into the house. They were, this will attract buyers right everyone loves having their face ripped off they made a decision <laughs> they went and you know to increase the property value they turn in that back bedroom they turned the storage closet into a bathroom so now there was a toilet back there now here's the thing is that story creepy? Not really. Now that I'm thinking of, I have a dreams episode coming up. I probably should have saved it for that. I actually have a story about dreams that come true, not like you won the lottery, but like people who had weird dreams and then the dreams ended up being real. I should have saved it for that episode, but I think it still kind of fits into this one because technically it's creepy. Imagine if he had dreamt something else. <laughs> he dreamt, he's like running from the gorilla. He goes in there, it's a wood shop full of hanging hay hooks and he's like dodging them and the gorilla gets stuck on them. And then he wakes up. And then when he turns 18, his dad says, hey son, I got a secret to share with you. Come in this storage closet. And Philip walks in there and there's a bunch of hay hooks. And he's like, Dad, what? What's your secret? What's your secret? Is your dad starting a chainsaw? Is your secret that you uh, love hay hooks? You love sharp sharp objects? And the dad's got <laughs> The dad's cutting it with a chainsaw. Philip's like, You haven't told me the secret yet. <laughs> His blood's gore shooting everywhere. Ah, dad, come on. What, what's your secret? What if the dad was a serial killer? <laughs> Jason, he didn't. That didn't happen. You can't say, I'm going to tell you a creepy story. Jason, you cannot say you're going to tell me a creepy childhood story. Tell me a a mundane story at best. And then say, well, it could have been a serial killer. That's not how that works. Okay, so I probably should have saved that. But let's keep going. I have this other story. <laughs> Two more. <laughs> oh, no. Jason, did you take Benadryl before this episode as well? I'm recording it at night. I have to go to bed right after this. So, yeah. It plus they have allergies, oddly enough. The next story I came across, I'll have all these in the show notes from Jason. I'm not going to check them. 
Wow. I want to know more about that bad toilet story. I want to know more about that bathroom story. Wow, Jason. I hope you put it in the show notes. Let's go ahead. We're going to go over to this other dude's house. We're going to call him Michael. We don't have locations for any of these stories or real names, unfortunately. We're about to meet this kid named Michael. And he said when I was a little kid, it was Christmas Eve. It was late one night. Everyone's asleep in the house, but Michael is woken up to the sound of Christmas presents unwrapping. I mean, that's pretty sensitive hearing. Who is this? Daredevil? Like, what? Was that a bow I heard unravel? Uh, Roused me out of my deep sleep? He wakes up, he hears Christmas presents being unwrapped. He probably figures it's someone else in the house, you know? Getting an early start. He wants an early start. So he sneaks out of bed and he walks into the living room where all of the Christmas presents are positioned around the tree. And when Michael walks into the room, there's a little boy sitting in front of the presents. He's just sitting there. And Michael says he kind of froze. He doesn't know who this kid is. And the kid in front of the Christmas tree turns his head and stares directly at Michael. And then the boy, the boy sitting in front of this Christmas tree, slowly floats away and disappears from sight. He goes, he had never seen the kid before or since. He had no idea who this was. But on Christmas Eve, he heard, it's it's a creepy ghost story. More creepy than the toilet one, unless you're afraid of gorillas. Because, again, it's that abstract nature of the paranormal. He didn't come down. If he had come down and seen the ghost unwrapping the presents, that's a little... I mean, it's still... You'd still pee your pants, but if you saw the ghost, like, actively doing something and being like, oh, I hope this is the wooden horse the headmistress promised me. I've been such a good orphan this year. And then he turned and he looked at you and floated away. It's still terrifying, but it makes a little more sense. But if you hear the sound of an activity, in this case, presents being unwrapped, and then you walk in and you see a kid sitting there motionless. No presents have been unwrapped. How how does that work? How does that work? It's such a, a, a it's creepy. The imagery is creepy, right? This poor little kid just wants a Christmas, but he's a ghost. He's floating away. It would be creepier to hear the noise, but to not see the action and not see the result of it as well. None of the presents were unwrapped. The boy wasn't doing anything but the sound of the presence being unwrapped. And it's interesting, too, you think about it. I made the joke at the beginning, how did he hear it? Because that's a kind of a quiet thing, unless you're really going to town on him. Maybe the sound was, like, projected to him for whatever reason. Like, again, with ghosts, there's ghost physics is such an interesting thing. I, it doesn't get talked about enough. That's why I kind of dwell on it because I just find that angle of paranoia. It just doesn't. Re- I get, maybe it's not sexy enough for researchers, but I find it absolutely fascinating. We got one more story here. We're going to take a look at. Let's go meet another young boy named Silas. Again, fake name. He said when he was about six or seven years old, he woke up in the middle of the night and had to use his bathroom. But he doesn't want to get out of bed. Not because he's like lazy or nothing, but because he's terrified. He all of a sudden, he doesn't say whether or not this is a normal fear he has. 
But uh, definitely in this moment, he was afraid that something, terribly afraid something was going to get him once he got out of bed. Now, that's a normal childhood fear. So I'm assuming this is just something he dealt with. But he goes, I worked up the courage and I hopped out of bed. Huh. Huh, so nothing. Okay. Totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> the growing wet stain on his pajamas say otherwise. But he finally makes it into the bathroom, walks down the hallway, goes to the bathroom, shuts off the bathroom light, and when he steps out of the bathroom back into the hallway, he sees a truly terrifying sight. Materializing out of the wall. It's like reaching right out of the wall is a arm. And he he goes, I look down at it. And to this day, I can tell you everything about it. I can tell you everything. I can totally describe this arm to you. And he goes, a lot of people have said it's a dream. My parents said it was a dream. Definitely when I told them about it, when I jumped into bed in just a few moments. And he goes, in my mind, I think it has to be a dream, right? It has to be a dream. But I've never had a dream where I can remember all of these details. And he goes, I don't think it was a dream because I had just gone to the bathroom. I got up, walked to the bathroom, went to the bathroom and came out. But this is what I saw. This arm reached out of the wall. It was a big hand with long, skinny fingers. The flesh on the hand looked to be rotting. Looked as if it was decomposing as it was coming out of the wall. He said it was a pale, dead, decomposing hand reaching out. But it's not just the hand. He goes, I could see the wrist. I could see part of the forearm. He said it was wearing what looked like a white button-up sleeve shirt. So, you know, like the shirts you wear when you go to a job interview or whatever to make it look like you're not a slob. He said it was like that. He goes, it was a shirt. It was a long-sleeve button-up shirt. He goes, but the sleeve was rolled back a bit. It was unbuttoned at the cuff, and it was rolled back a little bit. And in what might be... One of the most bizarre details. (laughs) One of the most bizarre details when you're talking about an arm manifesting through a wall. You think. We did a whole story about phantom hands. These hands that were chasing around children in Mexico. It's a very popular boogeyman-esque story over there. Possibly a real phenomenon. You think a hand reaching out of a wall. Monster hand. Goblin hand. Ghost hand. Zombie hand. Those all make sense in this world, this paranormal world that we live in. Monster under your bed. Boogeyman in your closet. All of this. This hand is reaching out of the wall. It's a big hand with long, skinny fingers. It looks like it's wearing a shirt that's rolled up a bit and that's the cuff's undone. And, so bizarre, and it was wearing a watch. So that, again, it's sometimes it's those small details that really, what is this? What is it? You have to start asking all sorts of questions. And the first thing that pops in my head is, do ghosts even wear watches? Have we had enough ghost accounts? Because we'll often describe the clothes that they're wearing. 
But a ghost with a watch is, I mean, honestly, it's bizarre to think about. You kind of chuckle and you go, well, of course they would have a watch. I mean, if you died and you believe the ghosts are wearing the clothes and da 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 da. But a watch is a symbol of the limitations of reality, it's a measurement of time. I'm sure there are ghost stories about, I'm sure, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are ghost stories, not a ton, but a few, about a ghost who always had a gold pocket watch. Like an old-timey Civil War ghost always had a gold pocket watch, and the ghost is still seen with the pocket watch. They may say the ghost, that he was known to be a meticulous timekeeper, and now, even in death, he'll turn the watch and look at it. I would argue that that would be what we call a residual haunting. It's not a ghost. It's not a soul you can interact with. It's a recording of an event. He put so much energy into obsessing over his watch that he left a little bit of it behind. In the right area, under the right conditions, it can leave an, an afterimage. There, a lot of ghosts are that. They're not the ghosts that you can actually talk to, interact with, or ha- really have to be afraid of. A ghost with a watch, and I don't. We don't know what this is, and the story's not over yet either. Um, but we don't know what this is. A, why would a goblin need a watch? Why would uh, you know any sort of entity creature need a watch? I can't think of a ghost wearing a wristwatch because again, it's a it's a limiting factor. It would be a reminder of what to uh, to a entity. It's just fascinating detail, right? What is, why is this, whatever it has, has a watch. Now, you go, Jason, he's walking out of the bathroom. He's six or seven years old. He just woke up in the middle of the night. He's shutting off the bathroom light. We'll assume the hall light's on because he seems to be a bit of a scaredy cat. It turns out he had good reason to be. There's an arm, there's a whole arm appearing or most of an arm appearing out of the wall. You're allowed to be a little bit of a scaredy cat if you live in this house. We'll assume the hall light's on. It's possible the hall light's off. It would be out of character for this kid, but how do how does he take in so much detail? It's the middle of the night. He just peed. He's walking around the house. Well, because it grabbed him. He saw this hand come out of the wall and it instantly locked onto his ankle. It was low to the ground. <laughs> I just said that earlier. You think it's like coming out to shake his hand. It came out of the wall low enough that the first place he grabbed, and, and I mean, it would be an effective place to grab someone is their ankle. If you have a strong enough grip, if you can grab their ankle. If you're ever in a fight and you're like, oh, I better materialize through this wall to get the upper hand on this guy. It's an effective place to grab anyone, and I would argue it's probably an even more effective place to grab a kid. They have tiny ankles. You can wrap your whole hand around it. This hand was giant. It probably didn't have... And again, he says big. I guess it's not giant. It's, you know, larger than a normal hand. Wraps around his ankle. He's stuck. That's why he gets a good look at it. He looks down. He sees it coming out of the wall. He's terrified. It wraps around his ankle. And he does have to struggle to get free of this hand. But he does put up that struggle. I mean, you imagine, talk about adrenaline kicking in. He is able to break free from this thing's grasp. Runs into his parents' room and they convince him. Well, they don't, you could argue that they do convince him because he's thinking about it today that, you know, maybe I was dreaming. But they say, you're just dreaming. It's all a dream. And he tells that story today and he goes, 
I it had to have been a dream. This is something we see happen so often in the world of paranormal. It had to have been a dream because the reality of admitting that it's real is too terrifying. That a hand could reach out of the wall and grab you. And do God knows what. So it was just a dream. It's a fascinating story. And I think it is that one is a truly terrifying story of a child under assault. From what type of entity is this thing? We've been talking a lot about this. So I don't want to beat a dead horse. But like, what could this be? It's fascinating ghost. I don't know what it was. I, I, I'll default to the ghost story, but I don't even know why I'm picking that out. And I'm wondering if he was always scared of something under his bed or if this night the fear was more intense or if he was never scared of it and this was the first time he was actually afraid of it. It's because that entity was watching him. Like whatever it was, whatever was in the house, in the walls... was waiting for him. And it could have got him in the bedroom. It could have got him in the bathroom. But it tried its luck in the hallway. And Silas was able to get away. I mean, imagine if this hand had latched onto him in the bathroom. I mean, that's... all you One quick yank, that kid's going to smash his head against the side of the bathroom sink or on the toilet bowl, you know, you get a pretty serious injury, if not just an outright life-ending injury. Hard enough yank, you'd smash someone's head open. What if it got him in the bedroom and didn't try going for, you know, making it look like it was an accident, making it look like he slipped in the bathroom, smashed his head on something, just yanked him under the bed. Took him into the wall. But the wall is a wall to us. What was it to this entity? What would have si- where would Silas have gone? And, and and again, this is one of those stories. Like, if you woke up in the middle of the night and your kid was gone, and this these stories happen. These stories happen. People go missing, and we have zero clue of where they went. You're like, Jason, please don't say. Well, I think Madeline McCann went in a wall. I'm not saying every unexplained disappearance is wall-related. I'm not saying that. But maybe some of them are. And the thing is, it's so unbelievable that, I mean, you it would be easier to believe that someone broke in your house with no evidence of a break-in, took your kid, Leaving no DNA, nothing. The kid just vanished, never seen again, can't figure it out. That's easier to believe. You're <laughs> chasing like, yes, that is easier to believe. Then the wall got him. But if so, th- what I find so fascinating is that you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it at all. But here we have a kid who experienced it. He goes, it was not a dream, but it had to have been a dream because it doesn't make sense. But he looked down, he saw this thing come out of the wall. He could see all these details about it, including, again, like if he saw Casper's arm reach out or a demonic creature claw that looked like something from some 
movie he had recently seen, then he could be a little more suspect, sure. But to look down and see some sort of crazy entity wearing a watch, such a bizarre detail. He sees this thing come out of the wall, grab onto him, hold onto him. He has to break its grip and then go running down the hallway. He experienced it and he can't believe it. He was the one who felt the hand, who saw the hand, who had to break free from the hand. And even he's like, this just can't be true. So how are people, how are investigators supposed to believe in these things? How are people trying to solve these missing people cases? I know this sounds insensitive. I get it. But... Again, I think even if 1% of missing person cases are paranormal related, and I honestly, I think that's probably a pretty good estimate. 1% of all missing person cases may have a paranormal answer. But, you know, we, we wouldn't even know where to start looking. Like, what are you going to do? Start knocking over gravestones? Be like, tell us what you know. Tell us what you know. It would just, it, but again, like again, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. We've talked about it a couple different times recently, but I, I guess it's been on my mind. It's such a terrifying thought to think that the world of the paranormal is so dangerous it can get you at any time. But the the fact of the matter is, it can. So it's easier for us to just go. No, no, that's not possible. It's just dreams and spooky stories that we read online or someone tells us in a podcast or it's just it's not real can't be real and while those may be comforting thoughts to fall asleep to those denials of the dangers of the world of the paranormal will not save you when a rotting pale hand reaches out of the wall and drags you into their darkness. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>